It is the most wonderful time of the year, and it's only 23 days until it's over. Praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, man alive. It's just getting started, and so this, this morning, what we want to do is we want to just take some time this month and, and focus on the nativity story. And I want to ask you this morning, and what is the most favorite part of the nativity story for you? All right, so like, for instance, for me... I love that, that passage in Luke 2.8 where it says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. I love that probably because I learned it way, way long ago when in public school you could still do the nativity story. And then probably I know it because of Charlie Brown's Christmas, actually. You know? And so, but what about you? What is, there, what is it about the nativity story that always captures your imagination and your heart? So talk to me and let's be fist. Come on. Talk to me. What is it? What is that phrase, that verse? Someone talk to me. I know it. We're going to talk about that in a minute because I love that too. What else? Somebody talk to me. The shepherds went and shared everything they'd seen. That's good too. Exactly. They would name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Amen. Isn't that great news? A multitude of angels. Uh, yeah, I bet so. It's a hard ticket to get, I bet, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. What else? Oh, my goodness. Isn't that true? John the Baptist leaping in Elizabeth's womb. That is, I almost said tomb. That's strange, isn't it? John the Baptist leaping in Elizabeth's womb. So cool, isn't it? Isn't it? So all those things, every one of us have those special things, I think. What? Oh, Ellen. Don't preach the sermon. We're getting there, okay? Sister, sit still. Man, there's always one in the crowd. Always one in the crowd, you know? Here's a passage that we're going we're gonna to kind of use as a guiding theme. It's something I want us to be thinking about. And it comes out of Luke 129. And it says that, but she was greatly troubled by this statement and kept pondering that kind, what kind of salutation this might be. And then later in, in chapter 2, verse 19, it says, she treasured, that's what you said, she treasured these things, pondering them in her, in her heart. I've loved that Scripture is so beautiful and so poignant that like, it captures the smallest details. And it, and, it, and it directs our attention toward things that you, know, you might never pick up in Scripture or never pick up in a story. But it, here it's like that she was pondering she was processing. She was thinking about these things. That word for ponder there, for the Hebrew, it means to revolve in one's mind, to bring it together in one's mind, to confer. I love that last thing, to confer with oneself. So she's watching all these things happen to her. She, her I mean, like, you know, it wasn't but about nine months ago, and her, and her life kind of got removed from her, her hands, and everything went its own direction, didn't it? And... So here she is. She's revolving around all this stuff in her mind. So what I hope for us in this Christmas season, because for some of us, it's already gotten out of our hands, perhaps. And, and, and it's hard to keep the main thing as the main thing for the next 25 days. But the main thing is Emmanuel, God with us. And that God thought it was a good idea 
you know, to take his one and only and to send him on earth to suffer the consequences for the sin of people like us. What was he thinking? But what he was thinking was, those folks need my son. He's their only hope. And as much as this is going to kill me, hurt me, kill him, we're going to do this for my great love, for my creation. We want to keep that as the main thing, the best we can. And so I encourage you, if you're like me, I've gotten three or four emails and says, hey, you know, use our daily, our daily devotionals for Christmas or all, all kinds of things you can do right now. But being in the Word, focusing on the story, whatever you can do to kind of process that so that we ponder together for the next month. We, we confer with ourselves and we confer with each other as we come together as the body of Christ what it means to think that God sent His one and only Son to be born of a woman for the benefit of us. We want to do that. Today I want you to turn in Luke 1, chapter 20, Luke 1 verse 26. All right, We're going to start there. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled by this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the Lord said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And to his kingdom there will be no end. I could read that over and over again. But today I want us to just focus on one part of it there. It says, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Blessed are you among women. That phrase right there highly favored one. That favored one, it's a Greek term. It's only used twice in the New Testament, only twice. And it means to pursue with grace, to compass with grace, to honor with blessings. His favor was on her, and it brought blessings on her, or as the definition says, honor with blessings. And the visit of the angel was to announce to her God's favor and the blessing he was bestowing on her by, by the caring of the Son of God, the Messiah. The blessing of bearing his child is exactly what God intended. In verse 31, he says, The blessing of bearing Jesus. You, he, you will bear a child, and his name will be Jesus. The other time this word or this phrase is used, and it is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. And there it says, He predestined us to adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. That freely bestowed is the same as, as in here in Luke, where he says, highly favored one. Same phrase in Greek, interpreted a little bit different way by, the, by Paul and Luke here. But it's the same phrase, freely bestowed. He, was on, he has honored mankind with the blessings of his grace. He has graced us with his unmerited favor. He has favored us 
we received his favor with his unmerited favor. You think? He favored us with his unmerited favor. In the case of Mary and in the case of you and I, God gave favor not because of how good we were, not because of how righteous we were, or how much we deserve it, or simply out of his, or, but it is simply his good favor toward mankind, his unmerited. In other words, the undeserved favor of God that he extends to mankind. So we have something in common with Mary. Because of Jesus, Mary was highly favored. Because of Jesus, you and I are highly favored. Not because Santo is especially worthy of it. Not because Jeremy is especially worthy of it. But because God is fully worthy and so generous and so compassionate and so in love with him and him and you and you. He says, because of my great love, I bestow favor, not because you deserve it, but because I give it. That is what God's grace is, the undeserved favor of God. To be favored by God, when we hear it, it conjures up certain ideas, doesn't it? Think about it like this. Let's say that you have an ant, a really rich ant, a little eccentric, kind of crazy. You know what I mean? So everyone's got one in the closet you don't want to talk about. And she sends you a text. Now, she's a very tech-savvy aunt, all right? They, there are very few of them. I'm sorry if you're one of them or not, all right? And it says, hi, Tim. Get happy. I favor you over Mark, and I'm giving you all my money. <laughs> there you go, brother. Now, what's your first thought? I know what my first thought would be. It'd be dollar signs. I'm like going, hey. I'm favored. This is going to be good for me. You translate that information to say, good things are ahead. But what if being favored doesn't always mean good things ahead? What if it's a mixed bag? What if it's a, like a box of chocolates, right? What if it's like a box of chocolates and you really don't know what you're going to get? I wonder if that's why Mary was pondering this announcement. In verse 29 and verse 34, you know, she's, she, it's both used that she ponders it. And she says at one point, how can this be? I'm a virgin. In other words, she's like, first of all, the mechanics just aren't there. But I think that there's more going on there. I think there's more going on there because she's pondering things that she knows is true about her village and about her culture. She's pondering things that she says, how is it possible? Or what's going to happen to me as a young woman who is unmarried who walks through my, my streets showing pregnancy? What's going to happen? Because in my town, what's going to happen is, is the man that I'm betrothed to, he could have me stoned. What's going to happen because he could just put me away or I could be, I could be totally isolated from, my, from everything in the village. And you need to understand, they were not like us. Individuals, I can do it myself. The culture of ancient Israel, most ancient cultures, was 
we live together. We are community. And what happens to you happens to me, and it matters the way you live your life. And if you get out of line, we are going to put you out. And so here she is. She's got to be thinking, it looks like I'm going to be out of line here. What's this going to look like? She had to be thinking through some of these things and how it would work here. Being highly favored doesn't always mean things get easy. God has highly favored us. Through the life and the death of Christ, and through Christ, we receive that unmerited favor. That means that we receive that which we did not deserve. We, we receive forgiveness of sins that we didn't pay for. Someone paid for on our behalf. And so when we come into that place where we understand that and we say, I understand that you paid my sins and I want to take that payment as my payment because I don't want to be found outside of a relationship with Christ. I want that. I want to be able to skip, escape shame and guilt. I want to escape uncertainty about my future and eternity. I want to know what's going to happen on the other side. I want all of that. And I just found out that Jesus is the only way to get it. I would like to have that. And all of a sudden, you, receive, you find out that you've received the favored, the unmerited grace of God. So being adopted into God's family doesn't mean that you, you're, you're in the big house on the block all of a sudden. It doesn't mean that everyone likes you because your last name is God or something. I'm not really sure, right? <laughs> being an ambassador for the sovereign king of the universe does not mean that everyone listens to you when you speak to him. It sometimes means they kill the messenger, ask Jeremiah and Isaiah and so many others. Being a bondservant for our master, the one that, that, the one that highly favors us, still means that as a servant, there are jobs that I must do that I might not like. It means that there are jobs that are not fun or pleasant or sexy or looks good when I'm done with them. It doesn't mean that I only get to love the ones I like. It means I have to love the ones that are unlovely because he did that to me. It means that at the end of the day, to the world around me, I will look like the fool and I must suffer that label. My friends, my boss, loved ones, neighbors, they might not understand or even appreciate it. They wonder why we do the things we do or why we don't do things sometimes that they do. They might say things to you like, well, at least they might, they might not say it, but they might think it. And they'll say, you mean you've never slept with him? Why not? Wouldn't you want to test drive it before you put a ring on it? How weird is that? They'll say things like, just tell your boss you filled out the paperwork. It doesn't matter. He'll never know. They'll say things like, you mean you forgave him? Why? I would never do that. I would never do that. Let me pause right there on that one. Let me pause right there on that one. I'm more and more becoming convinced that the, perhaps in our culture especially, where everybody's offended, everybody's angry, everybody's upset, and everybody should get fired for something, that the distinguishing mark of Christian is going to more and more and more be that we forgive and we love when no one else does. It needs to start in this room. Because there are some of us 
who are sitting in this section because someone else is sitting in that section. It needs to start here first. And then we can do it out there in a matter. The reason why we get so much disrespect as a church is because this church grew a lot back in the 80s because another church got mad at each other and came here. Because they couldn't resolve and forgive and work things out and stay there. And so they say, y'all are always mad at each other. Look, you're always mad at each other. Y'all grow and move back and forth and all. You're always mad at each other. So what do you have different than I don't have? Man, it ought to be forgiveness. It ought to be forgiveness. It ought to be that tattoo on us that says, I'm a Christian because I forgive. Because he says, forgive others as, finish the verse, as I forgave you. As I forgave you. And that is hard business. There is nothing easy about forgiving some folks in our lives. It is hard business. So becoming highly favored doesn't mean that they'll come and apologize to you. Sometimes it means you go and apologize to them. They say that we, we hate people of different sexual orientations. They say that we're just all concerned about money and Republican politics. And the things like that that are not true, yet based on some actions and words of some of our Christian family that makes it hard to deny them, isn't it? When we know that God loves people of all sexual orientations, we, we know, I mean, he, he takes great pleasure in our generosity. He great, takes great pleasure in our giving things away because He is the Lord of the harvest. He is the one who owns all that anyway. He takes great pleasure in that. And that we're not devoted to a public political position, but we're devoted to biblical positions. Being highly favored at times will be uncomfortable and it will be misunderstood. And sometimes it will be hard to do that. As a matter of fact, there are many of us distant cousins in our world, those who in Nigeria, China, North Korea, Saudi Arabia, Somalia, and dozens of other countries where being highly favored is downright deadly. In Nigeria, they just continue to kill Christians right and left. Being highly favored there does not keep you alive, does it? Christian, when you, you know, here at Crossing, we haven't done this again in a month or so, so it's time to do it. Here at Crossing, when you step over that line from spiritual death to spiritual life, when this line says that this is that time and that place, that point in time when you said, I understand that Jesus died for my sins and I want to take that payment for myself. When you come to this place where you step over that line and you become a Christian, right there, we just have to understand, do not let it ever be said here at Crossing that it's easy or that it will be your best life now. Or that God will take care of everything for you. Because he didn't say that. He said, they persecuted me. They will persecute you. They hated me first. They'll hate you too. Being favored does not mean you get picked first on every team. Because our best life now is not now. It is the next one coming. If you were to read further... In Ephesians 1, in verse 13. In him you also have listened to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed. 
Listen right here. You are sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view toward the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Let me just take that from Pauline, Pauline's kind of, of, of terminology. Just, let's put it in everyday redneck kind of stuff. He says basically, in him, after listening to the message of the truth, you got saved. And what happened after you got saved, God put a down deposit on you in the form of his Holy Spirit, and he embedded that, depo- that Holy Spirit in you, saying, this one's mine. And one of these days, I'm going to bring him home, and he will be glorified with me and with me forever, and all of this stuff is going to pass. That's what that verse is saying right there, all right? We, our best life now is not now. It's not going to be easy now. But Christian... The thing that happens is, is that we get through this life because we understand that verse and so many others in it. And somehow or another, I just tend to believe maybe, and this is conjecture, so just here I just say it's conjecture, that Mary somehow or another might have understood that because after the angels talked to her, she says, let it be so. She said in her sense, I believe she said, I know what's coming, I understand. Dan, I think that there's a Messiah. It's in me. I don't know how that works, but I trust you. I put my faith in your promises. Let it be so, as you say. Now, we don't know what happened in that village in those next nine months, whether she was ostracized, whether she was made fun of, whether people said, like, what do you think? We expect you didn't mess around with that boy. We don't know any of that. But we do know that she suffered in the sense that she sat at the foot of the cross and watched him die. And no mama wants to watch their baby die. Being highly favored was not a good, pleasurable boat ride for her. Being highly favored by the Lord, being the recipient of his grace, means that we're called into hard, difficult places. We stand on the shoulders of people who understood being highly favored and understood that they needed to sacrifice not because it was to their benefit, but because it was to our benefit. Because we had people centuries ago that crossed an ocean that said the gospel is worthwhile enduring hard stuff so that someday others will stand on our shoulders and enjoy the blessings of being favored as well. We, as churches, send missionaries to go places where people don't know that they have the option to be highly favored. And we send them places, like Jim Elliott did in 1956, and he went to tell some people, you have the option, there is a possibility for you to be highly favored, would you like to know about that? And they killed him. And so right now there's a raging debate in evangelical churches that's saying, you know what, that dumb kid that went over that island and got himself killed, that's nonsense. Don't go places that are dangerous. Rich, you're a fool for going to Haiti. You almost got yourself killed. And yet Rich and Carol, Russ and Mide, and so many others said, being highly favored and letting someone else know about it is worth being shot, living through an earthquake and everything that they did and everything else that others have done, and everything else that others are doing. Being highly favored and letting someone else know about it is worth that cost, right? It's worth that cost. So I'm ashamed that I'm worried about what people are going to think about me 
if I were to hand them a gospel. We need to understand what it means to be highly favored and the blessing it is and let that be a motivation for us to say others need to be highly favored as well and they need to bring others in the family. So come on in. Come on in. Being highly favored means that things can be hard. But when we have the right perspective on this life, it helps us understand the eternal extent of God's favor on us. It goes into the next next life. Let's ponder. Let's confer with ourselves what that means. Father, this morning, we thank you that Jesus was highly favored sitting in heaven was highly favored sitting there in the throne room with you, was highly favored sitting up there with you, and he set all that aside, as Philippians 2 tells us, that he set aside the glory of God so that he might take on the likeness of men, even to the likeness unto death. Jesus was highly favored, Lord, and he set that aside for my benefit, and that we would understand that and respond in such a way with our worship, with our lifestyle, that as Paul says, that we would embrace that uncomfort as hard as we embrace that favor because that's what you really want from us. We're all about taking the favor, but we're not so much in, 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 in such a big idea about taking that discomfort and that persecution and that shame that comes with being brought into your family. Lord, convict our hearts And may we think of Mary and her response and just when she says, may it be, just may it be done to me according to your word. May we be, may our faith and our boldness be as Mary's that said, I am favored and I will take what comes with it. And in her case, we, me, us in this room needed her to stand in that place so that we could receive the favor of Jesus in our day and time. In your name we pray, amen.